It's Friday, September 18th, and man, I need to hire an editor. This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. So it was a good game last night. Um, a couple other characters put their characters in World Anvil. Um, they are not updated yet. Um, I put the wrong link in. World Anvil has this weird, um, it's uh, either campaign or world link to put a character in. While I can see why someone would want to put a character in a world but not a campaign, I'm not really sure that I would ever do that. So I have to remember in the future to use that feature and use the campaign link. But if I were making, say, my own characters, which they recently upped it to unlimited characters for everybody, if I wanted to create a bunch of characters for my world, and have them, um, they have like a little social stream for the character, um, or you could journal with them or something like that. So I, I could see if maybe I were writing a book with World Anvil, I could make all my main characters like that, but uh, I don't really care to. So uh, we start off the session with a warm-up question. Warm-up question was, what do you fear most? Um, some rando grew up in a small village far from urban society where he was raised by a pauper woman. When he was 16, some was purchased for coin by the city blacksmith, Narlak the Pitless. Later coming to realize this man was his father, he worked and was beaten as a slave for two years, growing physically stronger and nurturing his vengeful spirit towards Narlak until one day he escaped and ran. Some ended up in a large metropolis, living for two years in the slums and by begging and doing odd jobs, and sometimes seedy deeds. When he became 18, he joined the city military and trained to become a mean and tough fighter who excelled in physical coercion. The characters grew up in a uh, 200 square mile area. Six mile hex map on a 8.5 by, by 11 sheet of paper. Lawson, being trapped, not like how he grew up, in a bubble, but more intimate. Alone and unable to fight, charm, threaten, etc. his way out. Miles fears his god. He doesn't know what her disciples are exactly and fears one day he will break a rule that he didn't even know was there. This god Miles is wor worshipping the blue lady came out of a module and uh, she was pretty much just mentioned. It's probably one of those things that I should add to my to-do list, huh? Sombra. Feeble mind. My worst fear is losing my ability to think and know who I am. That's a pretty, pretty big thing for a caster, huh? Ark fears not being able to see his family whole again. With how his mother and father were corrupted by Acerarach and now being dead, he dreads it all being irreversible and even losing more family. His mother and father were adventurers, and he became an adventurer with his brother. The adventuring group that they were part of, that, that his mother and father were part of, was the same adventuring group that the king was in. In fact, that's how he became king. Going under the guise uh, Asher... Asher something blossom when he unveils his plot to uh sink the continent he came to his old adventuring party he gathered his own old adventuring party actually that happened in the background it was uh it was an option that the characters had early on to go and collect these party members to fight the evil glass staff who ended up being a patsy so he gathered his uh party back together and he uh, performed a ritual to turn them all into undead. I believe the mother was a banshee and the father was a dark knight. No, the mother was not a banshee. I don't remember what she was. Fairly high CR because they were fighting um, tens. So that was the, the first fight of the, the gauntlet they had to go through to get to Asarak was uh, the mother and father. So it started off very intense. And I think that was a three session fight, I want to say. At least two sessions, but it might have been three. 
I had this uh, diorama set up that was a, um, a portion of the hill. So there was a level and then there was a bridge going up and then another level. So every time they hit the top of the level, we'd bring that back down and switch it with uh, the bottom and they, they ended up going up five levels. And it was pretty much the climactic fight in uh, season one of uh, our story. So yeah, Ark fears becoming dead or undead maybe. And Roger here, also an OG character. His worst fear is that he would become like his father, a Cambian who came with his family of fiend-blooded humans and tieflings from the old country, hell, to find a better life on the prime. Roger's dad performed ruthless callous to ensure the survival of the greatest number of his family members and the continuation of his bloodline. Eventually, he sold Roger into slavery and at a very young age to get enough money to move the surviving members of a large family to safety. Hence, Roger's hatred of slavers that goes beyond the hatred of everyone should have of them. As Roger grows more desperate to save his home and finds himself making deals with bad dudes and artifacts, he fears one day he'll lose sight of his principles and let innocents come to harm for the greater good, something he's not typically concerned with. Uh, Roger's dad's name is Bernie. Yeah, Roger, Roger, you're going to have a lot of problems with that soon, I feel like. So uh, this session was uh, all downtime, basically. So we just kind of sat around and talked, you know, there's a, a little bit of role playing, mostly conversation and uh, exposition. So um, the first week of downtime was covered at the end of the session last week. Um, we were going to try to do it on Facebook in between the sessions so we could actually have a session this week, uh, but it, it wouldn't have worked. Sombra's player, Tom. Uh, said that he didn't think it would work on Facebook. And uh, after after doing the first week, I, I agree because what, what happened the second week was dependent on what happened the first week. So we would have had to all coordinate our first week together and then proceed on to the second week and then coordinate that together and then proceed on to the third week. I think I could have done it if I was less busy and if I was more on top of it, but I, I was pretty busy last week and wasn't on top of it. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time to sit down and try to um, organize everybody together. So it turned into a session, which is totally fine because I think it gets more exposition this way. I get to uh, tell more of uh, the story, right? Instead of uh, just typing a few things out on Facebook. All right, so uh, the first week of downtime. All right, so the way I like to do downtime is uh, in uh, is the way I like to do 10 minute turns. And uh, I, I go around the table and ask what everybody's doing. And then we go back around the table and roll. This way, if somebody fails at something, the next person doesn't just go, oh, I do that too. This makes it feel a little more natural and it makes it feel a little um, uh, like everybody's doing something independent, right? Not, not waiting to see what somebody else is doing to do their thing. So in the, the second week, uh, like I said, the first week was covered last week. Everybody kind of shot for magic items. Um, it was... It was the end of the session and I was like, you guys need to do downtime. So we spent the last, I don't know, 20 minutes doing downtime. So it was kind of fast and forced. Um, this week I uh, did a little more of a preamble. I organized some stuff for them um, so that they could look it over, um, especially while everybody else was taking their turn and figuring out what to do. So this time everybody had, and there was more time. So we slowed things down and explained things a little more because one of the players we have is new to 5e. So downtime is kind of a, is mechanically a new thing, right? There was always downtime in previous editions. Um, I skipped third and fourth, uh, but uh, there, was, there was always downtime in previous editions. 
that I mean that goes back to the first edition DMG and uh, Gary Gygax. I don't know if it's a famous saying, but uh, you cannot have a campaign, uh, a good campaign, a meaningful campaign, unless strict time records are kept. And uh, that is written in all caps in the first edition DMG. And uh, I fully believe that. And I, I, I believe that goes back to his downtime when one of his characters would be doing spell research. He'd have to track that out and say, okay, this guy's, this guy's, um, uh, he's busy during this, this, you know, month and a half. So what is everybody else doing during this month and a half? Okay, you're going on an adventure for a week. Uh, you're coming back and researching for a week. You're coming back and then, you know, okay, and now we're caught up and now everybody can go on that adventure together. So I think, I really think that's what he was talking about in there. Um, a lot of people talk about um, keeping track of the dungeon turn and torches and lights. And uh, I think there's a little bit of that in there too that is very important. The, the early... The early levels, especially in the earlier games, were more attrition-based. Uh, it was more of a um, it was more of a hex crawl, right? It was it was more of a can you do you know what you need to survive? After a certain point, it was it was unnecessary, right? After after you reach especially name level, uh, which is eight to ten, depending on what class you were. You, you had everything covered, right? You always had enough food. You had a cart full of food with a bunch of guys following you around. Fighter had an army, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was all irrelevant by that time. And I feel the same way in 5th uh, edition. Actually, I think it happens a little earlier. As soon as a cleric gets uh, food and water, which I believe is a second level spell, so that'd be at level 5, um, all that stuff kind of goes away. And I've tried really hard to keep track of it, um, but it doesn't, doesn't work as well. The second week of downtime. Somber researched uh, Jeb, which was the um, the lost prime that Asarak had gone to. Uh, Gosra had given them this information in the past session. They were also uh, doing downtime with some of the uh, NPCs on the uh, Starlight Express. So Somber was assisted by Doc Brown, who is the engineer of the train. So he researched um, where the portal was and found the location of the portal. To be honest, I didn't think too much of this, and I was—I I just kind of stuttered through. Uh, the portal is uh, well. Uh, um, you find the location of the portal because I don't know Sigil that well. I don't know where it would be, um, and uh, sometimes my improv just—you uh, know—doesn't work. <laughs> Miles researched how to get to the city of Brass and general information on the city of Brass, and this is where my improv skills do come in, right? Because this is something that I thought about before. I've been reading a lot about the City of Brass. I know a lot about the City of Brass. I know a lot of story about the City of Brass. I actually told my five-year-old um, a bedtime story about how the City of Brass came to be. Uh, so I've been very into that lately. So Miles and the party got a, um, a, a large exposition on where the City of Brass is, how you would get there. And mostly that came out to be uh, Plane of Molten Skies, which is a kind of triangle convergence of the elemental plane of earth, air, and fire. That convergence is where the city of brass is, right? At that point is where the uh, the obsidian path goes, or the obsidian road goes into the city of brass. And the obsidian road and the line to get into the city of brass is, um, is, is an adventure in itself. It is a weeks long line to wait in. There are people who make their money on the obsidian road, which is technically outside the city of brass, standing in line for other people to to get in. There are inns and bars, taverns, there's brothels, there's shops, there's water stores, there's even um, guards posted outside. Uh, there is a like a watch, a separate watch for the Obsidian Road. It's a, 
It's not a favorable position to be in, so they're kind of uh, grumpy assholes. And they learn that that was one way to get in. Another way would be to plane shift, take the train to outside of the city, and go in through a gate that way, which would also probably require them waiting or needing some authorization from somebody. A private portal uh, was seemed to be what interested them most. There are people who own their own portals and uh, travel back and forth between the city of Brass and uh, wherever they drop their teleportation circle. So Ark and Lawston did a team building exercise on his parents. Back at the giant battle on the cliff, uh, when the undead versions of Ark's parents were killed, uh, they were pretty much eaten by a giant dinosaur. This dinosaur was controlled by Ark, no, uh, by Lawston, excuse me, this is Lawston's pet, and uh, there was an altercation about Ark's parents and the dinosaur being eaten, it, having eaten them. Um, Ark wanted some, some sort of uh, body to, to lay to rest, basically, or try and resurrect. So they, there, was, uh, there was tension there from a long time ago. And uh, team building is out of Acquisitions Incorporated. I believe I have uh, let everybody know how excited I am about that book and how much I love that book. So team building, uh, you take a situation and you try and work through it. When you do work through it, you get uh, certain bonuses uh, to downtime activities. You can get advantage on your next downtime activity. And then also you can get um, an, uh, a free 10 minute enhance ability or two by having a, um, uh, a memory, uh, basically. And uh, you just cash those in whenever you want. Uh, Lawson rolled pretty high. I think he got a memory and advantage. And then uh, Ark rolled low and then re-rolled and uh, he got it so nothing was resolved but nothing got worse. Um, some rando went uh, schmoozing for forces uh, guarding the portal. They found that there was a uh, or two companies of demons at the portal. Miranda is um, an employee on the Starlight Express and she tried to market for the company unsuccessfully. She went around uh, posting um, signs and stuff but uh, handing out flyers but it didn't go across too well. Um, so we moved on to week three. Um, Sombra and Doc Brown went again looking for the key to the portal. Uh, in Sigil, the, the city of doors, there are um, doors to other planes. And at, in these other planes, um, or in these doors, they, they need keys, most of them. Uh, some of them are totally open doors, but generally they need keys. So they found out the key for the portal to the world of Jeb is a demon finger. Ark researched making the weapon. Uh, he crit on this one, so I gave him two uh, researches for that. Because um, uh, it was like a 34 or something crazy. Uh, but he meant uh, Gokun the Simple. And uh, Gokun sat him down and told him a story about um, a young lad who uh, apprenticed to be a blacksmith but uh, failed miserably at it until someone had brought him a special ore and nobody else could work this ore but him. So he, he worked the ore and that into a weapon that was used to uh, slay a devil. Um, and it was said that uh, if this, if this uh, apprentice ever took up blacksmithing again, he would be, uh, the devil would be reincarnated. So they need to find an apprentice blacksmith 
they need to um, make sure get, give him the Gazrian ore to craft the weapon, and they need to make sure that he never crafts a weapon again. And of course, my opinion was, you know, kill him. That that's that's what came to mind when I planned this out. And it's funny, um, some rando having a blacksmithing story during this. Everybody was surprised, and they were like, "Did you plan that out? You know, is this is this because of that?" And uh, no, no, it wasn't. It was. Uh, it's been, it's been in my back pocket for quite a while now. I was telling them uh, before the last dungeon crawl, which was at least four weeks ago. I, I've had this planned out, and I, I think it was even before that. It was even before that because the the ore was in the dungeon crawl, so it was. It was probably about the time they they went to hell. So when we picked up this uh, game again in person. So I decided that uh, Gazra had to be, um, I, I didn't want him to be just slain like a monster. I wanted him to um, be slain like, more like a boss battle or uh, a creature of myth. Uh, so I wanted a, um, a story to go along with it and a specific weapon to uh, weaken him. So Miles uh, did some schmoozing, which is basically, it, it's basically research with um, charisma for uh, a private circle in the city of Rass. Uh, he did not do well on that role. Actually, he did okay on that role. He did not do badly. Uh, he got the result that said if you uh, schmooze again in this area, then you get advantage on that role. Sombra learned a little bit about the, the location in Jeb. Sombra found out that one of the main features of this planet is, uh, is a large desert area contested by uh, seven warlords. He found stories about how the tension has been rising there, and uh, the warriors are uh, the warlords are about to uh, embark on destruction of the other warlords and try and take the whole desert for themselves. All right, Lostin. He was smoozing. smoozing. Um, he was looking for a contact in uh, the clerk district of Sigil. Uh, so he met Helia, and he rolled high. So uh, he got the contact, and she owes him a favor. So anytime they they need research in the future, they can come here and. Uh, I don't know, get some sort of favor. Have access to something that I would normally not give them access to, or maybe advantage on a research role or something like that. Lower a DC, maybe. I don't know. When it happens, we'll figure it out. Uh, some rando um, continued his research on uh, the demon portal, um, and he uh, researched the location of the power source of the bubble. Uh, so if uh, you remember from last session, they learned that the bubble on their homeworld, Sanguera, was um, being held in place by um, a power source somewhere in the Hells. So if they took this portal back to Sanguera, they would end up inside the bubble. The alternate way to get back to Sanguera would be to knock the bubble down and plane shift there. Uh, so this was uh, more on the Sanguera and the Doom Vault end of the research. The location of the power source is west of Mineros, the city of Mineros. Um, he met Ash Elm Spirit. Uh, he rolled high and got a contact. They've got a couple contacts out of this, which is pretty cool. Miranda and Walter. Uh, Miranda's the uh, the bard who previously uh, tried to market, and uh, Walter is the head chef. There were many Walter White jokes and uh, trailer jokes. Trailer, not a train. It's a trailer now. They. Uh, tried to marketeer, which again is from Acquisitions Incorporated downtime activity. And it all, all this stuff um, in Acquisitions Incorporated obviously uh, revolves around the franchise acquisition of, of Acquisitions Incorporated. 
but if you take that stuff away it it turns it it lends itself really well to a business uh especially a fantasy business because there's crazy stuff in there that someone who is running a business and had access to magic may do they tried marketeering again this time the plan success was a success they actually got three successes on the rolls um they uh, decreased the franchise's monthly cost by 25% for two months. So I think I calculated their earnings a little incorrectly, uh, but oh well. They would have got less money, not more, so I'm not too worried about that. Also during the first week, I had forgotten, uh, Lawson sat down with Whelm, who he's been carrying on his belt this whole time, ever since White Plume Mountain. Lawson Lawson did a downtime activity of thievery, and he broke into a tomb and uh, stole a, a couple of things. I don't remember what he got out of there, but he noticed uh, upon leaving, uh, he rolled a complication, and that complication was there was a space on the wall where a weapon was. Um, so he got blamed for, um, he left something behind, left some evidence behind, and he got blamed for stealing this artifact. Um, they didn't care so much about the other stuff in there, it was the artifact that was important. In White Plume Mountain, they um, they got Whelm, and they have every time a new character comes in, there's a joke about being a dwarf, and uh, uh, Whelm has said he will only be uh, wielded by the Mighty Hammer Clan, and he will only be wielded by the Duragar Mighty Hammer Clan, because the um, the uh, regular Mountain Dwarf Clan are imposters. Whelm is a Duragar weapon in my campaign. Lawson basically sat down with Whelm and said, "Look, you need to pull your weight, man. Um, I want to get you back, but." It doesn't look like we're going back anytime soon. The more help you can give us, the faster the faster we can get back. I kind of hemmed and hawed and uh, pulled back, and then I just had Wilm say, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not within my power to do that. And then I was looking over Wilm, and I missed the part at the top that says requires attunement by a dwarf. Um, so I was like, you know what? What the hell? I don't see anything in here that says dwarf. And I had added the part about my hammer clan, so I thought maybe I had added the whole thing. I was like, "What the hell? Yeah, we'll let him, we'll let him wield it. That's fine." And then, like thirty seconds later, I scroll up to the top and see must be attuned by a dwarf. Uh, but I, I decided I wasn't going to take that away because that's, that's they've been trying to do this for a long, long time ever since ever since White Plume Mountain five levels ago, you know, no, ten levels ago. They were very excited to get this, and uh, I'm not going to steal that one from them. I think that would uh, that would that would cheapen it a little bit. So uh, they were very excited, and uh, some random has a new weapon. Uh, what was the quote? Whelm said, I, "I would be honored to be wielded by someone as uh, worthy as some random." So some rando, right? Um, so it, it, that got a pretty good laugh. See, that's where my improv came in. That was all of week three and uh, some more of week two. So at this point, they have all four of the things that they needed to find. They found out the weapon must be made by someone who is currently an apprentice blacksmith. They found out the weapon must be the last weapon made by that blacksmith. They found out that uh, a demon finger is the key to the portal and they found the location of the portal in Sigil. So those were the basic things that they needed to do. It was up to them if they wanted to take another week. And this has basically been a month. So um, they would have to do a running the franchise downtime task 
and that can be run with uh, any number of people. Someone has to do it, um, and it's a D100 roll. Uh, like I said, I boosted it by 10%, so they wouldn't get the bottom. They also got the 25% increase, which, I like, like I said, I think I calculated wrong. Every day that person works on it adds one to the roll. So basically, they took a week, seven days working on it. And you know what? I'm supposed to limit a work week to five, I think, or something like that. Uh, I don't know. The DMG, I'm going to go off on a tirade here. Um, the, the DMG is really weird about the work week thing. Because, um, first of all, uh, the default setting for 5th edition D&D is Forgotten Realms. And they run on a 10-day. But all the other settings run on 7 days. <laughs> I pulled back and I've been doing 7-day um, weeks, even though my calendar is a 10-day. I feel that um, it, makes less, it makes time go by slower. Um, actually, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Maybe I'll uh, tack on a bunch of days there. Um, but I probably shouldn't have had them work through the weekend. Um, I believe there is some limit to, uh, to five days, I believe it says in the DMG, um, which of course is not relevant to the Forgotten Realms, which is the default setting. Uh, I think they should have mentioned that. But anyway, uh, they rolled uh, percentage dice and uh, they got 157. They, uh, with the amount of people that they had working, it was a plus 59, and uh, lost enrolled a 98. Uh, so that, um, in my bad math, came out to um, a profit of 2,250 gold. Um, and that is basically 150% of their uh, cost, which is $3,000, 3,000 gold pieces. Uh, which that cost should have been lowered, so that number probably should have been lowered. The fourth week was decided to be taken. Uh, some Rando, Sombra, and Lawson all added to um, the, uh, the, the crew of the Starlight Express, which was seven people for seven days, so that was uh, plus 49. Um, I don't know how it ended up plus 59. There was 10 more. Oh, because I gave them a plus 10. Um, Miles uh, continued looking for uh, a new portal. Uh, he found it. He met somebody who has a uh, portal. He vacations in uh, Sigil, but lives in City of Brass. So he has a portal, and he's willing to let them use it because uh, um, Miles rolled with an advantage and rolled pretty high. He did not get the favor, but he got a favorable disposition. He was like, I'll let you use it for 10,000 gold. And uh, that's that's pretty much about the amount that the the most that one character has right now. I think if they pulled it all together, they might have thirty thousand. I really don't know though. Miles was like, Oof, "That's that's a lot of money." I offered, "Well, you could do a job for the genie if you want." And uh, they said, "Yeah, yeah, that's what we want to do." Um, and and at that point, I had said, "Okay, we're going to do week four, and then we're going to decide what we're doing next week, so I can write an adventure." So this kind of fit both things, right? It, uh, it worked out well. So I asked them, well, what kind of adventure do you guys want to do? You know, do you want to break into something? Do you want to go kill a bunch of shit? Do you want to kill something specific? Sombra's player Tom came back with, uh, well, we need to kill a demon. Why don't we kill a demon? And I was like, all right, we'll do that. That sounds good. So they're going to kill a, a, a high-level demon for a, a demon finger. I, I let them know that they are going to have to go to the abyss to kill this demon because otherwise they would just reform uh, and turn into a pool of ichor. So you wouldn't be able to get a finger off a pool of ichor. 
at about that time, uh, Roger, Roger's player, Tristan, uh, popped in. He, he was uh, in a place with no internet, um, no, no, no signal, because uh, he was using his phone. Um, but by the time he, he got settled in, uh, he got on Wi-Fi and uh, dropped in right at the end of the session, which was kind of perfect timing. So we ran through his downtime. And basically, he wanted to uh, improve his weapon. I think I talked about this last week. Um, improve his light crossbow to a crossbow. And I was like, you know, I thought about this, and I don't, th I can't think of any way to do this aside from, you know, maybe replacing it with a better, more durable string. And it's only one point of damage, but you know, I want it to be. Um, sustainable I don't know just something and he was kind of bummed about that he was like oh you know I, I don't you know I, he, he was bummed about it now I was like well why what did you think that was gonna happen and he was like oh I thought I was just gonna be like you know here's my crossbow you would say it's 5,000 gold and I would say okay and it would be done and I said well no it's not gonna be that simple I want to make you work for it uh, or something to that effect so um, I'm going to wrap it up into this this uh, um, this this demon killing exercise. He's going to be able to uh, get some material or something. But uh, he wanted it to be easier than it actually was, and I'm okay with that. I think that's important in a game to be to be able to, as a DM, compromise with your should be able to compromise with your plans for the players because they are playing the game and they're not here to entertain me. Um, we are together to have fun. Uh, people skills really comes in handy here so you can identify when somebody is like Tristan was a bit disappointed. Um, and really just communication. It's, it's, it's that simple, you know, ask, ask, well, what did you expect to happen? And, uh, okay, well we can make it happen that way. Uh, so we simplified everything. He bought some arrows, uh, bought some potions, and um, he did um, a prayer for inspiration to his god. Um, I still don't know exactly what's going to come out of that. Um, something's going to come out of that. I, uh, I told him I didn't want much to come out of it because it's kind of stepping on divine inspiration, um, the cleric ability. So I don't want him to spend a week of downtime and get access to a, a cleric power, um, even though it is only a one-time thing. Um, actually, thinking on it now, it's not too bad. But uh, he's going to get inspiration. He's going to get it somehow. Um, I haven't decided how yet. So um, actually, I, just, I, th I think I just thought of something. So uh, I'll mull that over in my head and uh, decide what that's going to be. Um, anyway, that was uh, pretty much the end of the night. Um, Tristan and I were the last ones on talking about that uh, prayer for inspiration thing. And uh, he's he's really leaned into this um, this worshiping of the uh, the of waves god. Um, so I am really appreciative of that because um, I know part of the reason he did it is of course to wield wave. I mean. Who the hell wouldn't, right? <laughs> it's one of those, it's not an artifact, it's a legendary weapon. Um, but it's, you know, it's been around forever, ever since White Blue Mountain came out. Uh, these weapons have uh, sat around, you know, and they are they're those things like the, the Hand and Eye of Ekna, right? Um, 
which they have. Um, they're these things that are, are things people want to use, right? They've been carrying Whelm around on their belt, you know, wanting to use that. So um, it's not, it, it's very understandable that, you know, someone would want it from a mechanical perspective. Uh, but the way he leaned into it, I was, I was worried that he was just going for a mechanical perspective, from a mechanical perspective. But when he did it, I talked to him afterwards and I was, I was like, man, if you, like, I, I told, uh, I told him in front of the party that I wanted him to do something mechanical to prove, you know, like his, uh, his, um, his dedication, I guess, to the deity. But like I said, he really leaned into it. And then I talked to him later and I was like, man, if you keep leaning into it like this, I don't think I'm, I'm going to worry about, you know, pushing something mechanically on you. And I was thinking like, you know, prayer or something that like took time away from his adventuring or that affected his adventuring somehow. Um, but he seems to be doing that on his own. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. I'm stoked when uh, a player leans into their character like that. And uh, I seem to have a group full of it, you know? Uh, I, I don't really have any any players in my game right now who aren't leaning into their characters. So uh, it's something I'm really appreciative of. Uh, so that's what happened this week. And um, yeah, that's about the size of it. So this month is RPG A Day Month. And I initially wasn't going to do it. But I thought since I'm doing a podcast every week anyway, we can just maybe knock out seven at a time. Well, it's only August 5th, so we'll start uh, here. Basically, these are just uh, prompts to get you started talking about stuff. Uh, so beginning, what does that make me think of? Uh, is uh, the beginning of a campaign, session zero, the, the work that goes into it. Um, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. I love starting new campaigns. I love to plan out stories and set up background and figure out what's going to happen. You know, whether it be a story-based one like Sanguera or a um, a crawl-based one like um, City of Zobek, uh, there is generally a lot to set up. Um, and I mean, even if it is a story-based one, I generally like to set up a hex crawl to begin with uh, just to get some some of that uh, uh, player agency feeling in there, right? Um, and I like to at least give them a choice. Uh, I, I try not to make it the illusion of choice, but I try to, uh, you know, get it to be choice. All right, two, change. Um, wow, change. I think about how my DMing style has changed over the years. I started in first edition as a kid and was very adversarial as a DM. Uh, after um, I went through that phase uh, in the 90s, we started playing a lot of story games, or what would be called story games now. White Wolf was really uh, where this uh, came from, uh, story over mechanics. And there, there, was a, there was a time there when I, I didn't believe in dice, right? There was a story that I wanted told. And it wasn't necessarily my story, it was still our story. But I didn't want the dice to determine that, but I felt I still needed to do dice rolls. Now I'm the kind of DM that uh, likes dice rolls. I like the randomness. I like to throw it up to fate. And if I don't want to throw it up to fate, then I'm not going to call for a dice roll. So those times in the past where I made players re-roll dice because I didn't like the dice roll, I just shouldn't have had them roll the dice. It's as simple as that. Three, thread. Oof. A dangling thread maybe I like I like to have a lot of stuff like that um, I like to 
like to throw stuff out there that you know goes kind of every direction and players choose what they follow up on there are definitely a lot of threads in my sanguera campaign and uh uh, in my city of Zobac campaign, which um, we'll get back to eventually, I'm sure there are. I mean, that's a that's a hex crawl game, so there are threads everywhere um, and disconnected things that uh, have no reason in my in my notes, but uh, maybe connected to something. I really like to do that, like to 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 leave um, loose threads. <clears throat> What's it called in Dungeon World? Leaving holes or something like that. Leave empty spaces on the map. Just so there's room for stuff to go in there. Stuff to uh, be put on the map, so to speak. So, you know, when you have that thing that's kind of a mystery and the players come up with it. Uh, the players say, oh, you know, I think it's maybe because of this or maybe because of that. Uh, the DM, me, uh, writes that down. You know, I listen and I change my story according to what the players are thinking and what the players are saying vision um that kind of that kind of goes back to the beginning right uh, a vision of the story that is going to be told or uh the vision of the location that the story is going to be told or um so in the case of sanguera the vision of the story in the background that is being told uh sanguera is um is background on the blood wars and uh i I really that's like one of my favorite parts of uh D D uh cosmos cosmology so uh i worked it in there there's always demons and devils in my games demons devils hags bay um those are things that you're going to see a lot of in my games so uh, i think vision is that 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 initial kind of like what is the background of the story going to be what is the story going to encompass and um, where is the story going to go? And number five, tribute. That is today's. Um, it's another tough one, right? I don't know. I guess it brings to mind. So like presenting things, uh, maybe working with the gods, um, something that I don't do a lot in my games and I'm trying to start. Because um, in a world where the gods are real, why, why shouldn't I use the gods? Um, I know that... In Sanguera, I I made um, a certain day of each season um, a day of the gods, and there was a celebration, and a god actually came to the city to um, to hang out and you know answer questions and do photo ops. I guess I don't know, um, but and especially since we're plane hopping now, uh, the gods are more involved. Uh, or should be more involved. They aren't more involved, but they should be more involved. Even though we're in Sigil, uh, I think Sigil, I, I feel like Sigil was really designed for um, starting out. Uh, it is very, um, the power level is intentionally forced kind of low. Um, even though it is in the center of the planes, the gods really don't go there much. Um, and if they were to go there, um, it would be very clandestine, I think. I think yeah i think i'm gonna start working i think i want to work gods into my campaigns more no i know i want to work gods into my campaigns more i just uh have not done it yet and i think that uh roger's giving me a good way in here to uh figure this out i think that uh that they, they are meeting more celestials and i am reading more about the planes and learning the gods on the planes um 
And as that goes on, I think I will more naturally just start to feed into that. That's all the nuggets we've got this week. Show notes available at slackthenerds.com. Want to reach out? Send a voice message using the link in my show notes, the Anchor FM app or website, or email me at cockatriesnuggets at gmail.com. Check out my new streams on twitch.tv slash jerry247. As always, you can use my blog at Slacker Nerds to get links to my Patreon and all my other socials. Come join my new Discord server. Links in the show notes. This podcast is ranked via iTunes, so leave me a review and some stars there. Share with your friends or shout out from the rooftops. However you want to get the word out, it's great for me. Thanks for listening.